So a man was driving along the highway when he saw the Easter rabbit hopping across the middle of the road. So he swerved to avoid hitting the rabbit, but unfortunately the Easter bunny jumped in front of the car and he was struck by the car. The basket of eggs and candy the rabbit was carrying went flying all over the place. The driver, being a sensitive man as well as an animal lover, pulled over to the side of the road and got out to see what had become of the rabbit carrying the basket. Much to his dismay, I'm sorry if there's any children here today, the colorful rabbit was dead. The driver felt so awful he began to cry. A woman driving down the highway saw the man crying on the side of the road and pulled over. She stepped out of her car and asked the man what was wrong. I feel terrible, he explained. I accidentally hit the Easter rabbit and killed it. Children will be so disappointed. What should I do? The woman told the man not to worry. She knew what to do. She went to the car trunk, pulled out a spray can. She walked over to the dead, limp rabbit and sprayed the contents of the can onto the furry animal. Miraculously, the Easter rabbit came alive, came to life, jumped up, picked up the spilled eggs and candy, waved its paw at the two humans and hopped down the road. Fifty meters away, the rabbit stopped, turned around, and waved and hopped down the road. Another fifty meters, turned and waved again and turned and waved, hopped down another fifty meters again and turned and waved. The man was astonished, as I'm sure all of you are as well. He couldn't figure out what substance could be in the woman's spray can. He ran over to the woman and asked, What is in your spray can? What did you spray on that Easter rabbit? The woman turned the can around so that the man could see the label and it said, hairspray. Restores life to dead hair. And adds permanent wave. Well, thanks for coming today. I'm going to you always want to end on a high note. Just Well, obviously, that's a silly story, but I tell you, what is not a silly story is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a real power that truly does transform human lives, transformed my life over 30 years ago, miraculously. Before cameras were invented, that had uh, uh, phones, cell phones, before cameras were invented. Before cell phones were invented that had cameras, nobody in my graduating class could believe that I was a Christian, that I was a pastor, and that I was not going to have sex until I got married. They didn't believe it. They thought it was a joke because we were always pulling pranks. So I was living out here, and my best buddy from high school got stationed up in Long Beach. He came down to my house here in San Diego with a video camera and said, I want you to look into the camera and tell everybody those three things because they do not believe me. And he took the videotape back to Ohio and showed it to all of our friends. Jesus's power can change anybody's life. I'm going to read this with you from the scriptures in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. It says, from noon, I'm going to, there we go, from noon... Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Historically, that has proven to be true. 
that for three hours in the middle of the day, that day in Jerusalem, the skies went pitch black. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, but it and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, for those of you who don't know what that curtain is, Ever since the beginning of time, God wanted to dwell with us. He wanted to be our friend. He wanted to be intimate. He wanted to be our God, a relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. But because our sins separated us from God, God could only dwell with us in hidden form, in a cloud, in a box, the Ark of the Covenant, in a temple, the building with a special room called the Holies of Holies that only the high priest could go in. And he had to be dressed perfectly. He had to have everything done just right because when you're going to walk into the presence of Almighty God who is pure and holy without any sin or imperfections, you must be perfect in his presence. So the high priest had to jump through all these hoops and do all these right things, and he had to bring a perfect lamb without any spot or blemish whatsoever and sacrifice it as a death substitution for the human race because the penalty of sin is death, not good works. It's death. It's not money. It's death. It's not church attendance. The penalty of sin is death. That is the payment. So the high priest would go in behind these curtains and he would have little bells on so that if the people heard the bells stop ringing, that means the presence of God was too much for him and he died and they would pull him out, pull him out with a rope. There was a curtain in the temple in Jerusalem that shut off the holiest of holies to protect the people because the presence of God is so powerful. It was six inches thick and 60 feet high. When Jesus breathed his last breath, that curtain tore from the top to the bottom. It wasn't like people grabbed either side and ripped it. It tore from the 60 feet high right down a six-inch thick curtain. Ripped apart. What did that signify? No more separation. In Christ Jesus, we can walk right into the presence of God and not fry. (laughs) Amen. But we can be with our Father. The restoration from the very beginning of time that the Father has worked on ever since we fell away from Him. But his resurrection was so powerful. Let's read the rest of this. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies, this freaks me out. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs. This isn't just written by Christians who were there or Christian historians. This event was written by secular historians who were there as well. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. 
They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine sitting at, you know, Publius Coffee House? You're sitting there, you know, Jerry and I, we're just after one of your gigs, you know, we're sitting having a cup of coffee and all of a sudden, here comes Uncle Joe who died 20 years ago. Just sits down. I mean, what would you, that, that would just be an odd moment. This was happening all over Jerusalem. The resurrection power of Christ. Pow! Graves popped open and people had died. Come out of the graves walking around the city. That's the resurrection power of Jesus. And it's not just for them. It is still alive and well today. When the, when the centurion and those who were with and, and, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. That phrase, surely this was the Son of God, is the phrase our Father in heaven is hoping every breathing human being on the planet today will one day utter surely jesus is the son of god that's his whole game plan that's his whole heart's desire the bible says that god does not desire that anyone perish but that all would come to eternal life through his son but it's our choice god gave us free will you can say no you can say yes and that determines your eternal destiny But why? Why is this the Father's heart? It's not just salvation. It is so that God's children can make it home. And anybody can make it home. I don't care how bad you are, how bad you have been. It does not matter. The sacrifice of Christ was enough for every living, breathing human being there's ever been. One example would be Paul, whose name was Saul. Saul, if Saul can get saved, anybody can get saved. Saul murdered Christians. He hated Jesus Christ with every fiber of his being. He thought he was a deceiver, a liar, and he thought Christians were a religious sect that was threatening Judaism. And so Paul, who was an intellectual, one of the greatest intellectuals of the first century, he was a theologian. He was an a, a expert in the Roman law, Jewish law, and customs. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He was politically connected. And he got legal right from the authorities of the day to go anywhere he wanted to go. And if he found Christians, he could arrest them, put them in chains, bring them back, have them tortured, killed, fed to the lions. And that's exactly what he was doing. The entire church was scared to death of Saul. How in the world could this man become the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted Christian churches all over the world, and finally was martyred for his faith? What in the world could have changed him? His own testimony. He said, I was on the road to Damascus to go arrest some Christians, and Jesus, the risen Son of God, appeared to me. 
And he gave me an ultimatum. You're either with me or you're against me. Paul made the right choice. And Saul was changed that day to the Apostle Paul. And he writes this to the Roman church. From Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What a change. From a terrorist of Jesus' people and a hater of Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. God called me to be an apostle and chose me to tell the good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets as it is written in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Nobody believed those words would ever come out of Paul's mouth. As a man, he was born from the family of David, but through the spirit of holiness, he was declared to be God's son with great power by rising from the dead. If Paul can make it home, any of us can make it home. And this was Jesus's primary message. It wasn't just about going to heaven. It was about making it back to the father. See, we all have an identity crisis. We all wonder where we came from. Why are we here? Who am I? We have identity issues. We have insecurities. We're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to figure it out. And we really don't know what happens after we die. The Father fixes all of that. People that have a great relationship with their Father are secure. They're confident. They don't deal with deep, profound insecurities because identity comes from fathers. Those who have a a bad relationship or an absent relationship, a negative relationship, a painful relationship with their dad suffer. 90% of the people that are interviewed in prisons, men, the root issue is the relationship with their fathers. That's our root issue. Our father in heaven. That's why Jesus said when his disciples said, teach us how to pray like you pray. The first word out of Jesus' mouth, father. And this is what Jesus says to you and I. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, not to heaven, but what? To the Father, except through me. This was Jesus' whole purpose of coming and dying for our sins and then raising from the dead was so that we can make it back home to the Father, to our dad's house. Now, for some, the picture of a father is not a good one. Let God change that for you. Let God become your father. My father and I did not have the best relationship. He was an alcoholic. And I remember when I was wrestling through this issue when I was in my 20s. And I finally, I finally popped through from the need of my father's approval and affirmation to my father in heaven's approval and affirmation. And the Lord said it to me this one day. Oh, I think we lost one light in here. A light just popped out. Sorry about the lighting in in this Church building, by the way, a little caveat, side note. They're going to fix all the lights in here this summer, so hang in there. The best is yet to come. In the meantime, we get theatrics. This is what God said to me. I was, I was seeing my life having begun from the day I was conceived with my mom and dad, and so your relationship with your earthly father, you know, you're shaped at that point. The Lord said, I was your father before your father was ever born. I realized my, my life began way back here when God first thought of me. And he just, that my parents were the human vehicles that birthed me, but I was always on God's mind. 
But I had to choose to come home through his son Jesus, and so do you. Every person has the free will whether to come home or not. I want to talk to you today about the Father heart of God. The heart of Easter is the heart of the Father. The word Father means architect, the originator of a thing. God is the one who put this whole plan into action. The resurrection, you know, that's our, that, that's our Christian celebration day. Jesus broke the power of death. But you see, that's just a link in the chain. That was a part of the Father's master plan. Look what the book of Revelation says, the very last book in the Bible. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, Jesus, whose names have not been written in the book of life. Even those who don't come to Christ will worship him on this day. Of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, you and I ran away from the Father from the very beginning. And the Father put a plan into action from the very beginning to get us back. First Peter says this, he himself carried our sins in, the bo- in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing, I love that. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. The moment you give your life to Christ, your healing begins. You were like sheep that continually wandered away. But now, everybody say now. <laughs> but now you have returned the true shepherd of your lives, the kind guardian who lovingly watch over your souls. The Father set this all up. The resurrection of Jesus was a major part of God's master plan to bring us home. Jesus blew open the door of death and went home so that we could follow him. Look what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. How precious is that? Jesus is coming back. I love in in the book of Acts where Jesus is talking to his disciples for 40 days after he rose from the dead. All the disciples saw him after he rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses in court are pretty powerful. Here we have 11 disciples. And then there were 500 other people who said that they saw him, ate with him, walked and talked with him after he rose from the dead. Now either they're all lying, which is be odd because it's a religion of truth and honesty and transparency and love, And yet these people are going to lie and deceive and dupe the world into a religion of truth and honesty? That makes no sense. And psychologists say, well, they were hallucinating. Psychologists say no two people can have the exact same hallucination. And yet over 500 people at one time testified that they were with Jesus after he rose from the dead. After 40 days, they're talking to him, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts going up into heaven. And they're standing there just looking at him. Acts chapter 1, you can read it. The physician, Luke, wrote the book of Acts. He recorded this account. An intellectual, an educated man. And as the disciples are watching Jesus float up in the clouds, these two angels said, Men of Galilee, what are you looking at? 
They're like, really? Seriously? Jesus is floating up. What a question. Why are you standing there staring up into the sky is what they said. He said, the same Jesus who went up from you is going to come back in like manner. He said, well, how do you know? Well, anybody who can predict their death, when they're going to die, how they're going to die, when they're going to die, who's going to kill them, and it all comes to pass exactly as he said, and that he was going to raise from the dead in three days, and he did, I think we can also believe that when he says, I'm coming back, I'll be back. God raised his son from the dead so that he could raise many more sons and daughters from the dead. And I am one of them. When people ask me, you know, you think you're going to heaven? Absolutely. Wow, that's kind of conceited. Not at all. I am not going to heaven because I'm good. I'm going to heaven because he's good. And Christianity is not what we do for God. It's what he's already done for us. Christianity is a thank you religion. It is a God died for me, took my place so that I would not have to. And I believe that and I receive that. Therefore, I'm saved by grace. It's a free gift. I was raised in a religion that did not tell me salvation was a free gift. You had to jump through the hoops. You had to light the candles. You had to do the incense. You had to go to church. You had to do this. You had to, you had to do all these exercises, memorize all this stuff. And who knows? Maybe. That's terrible. That's worse than not even having heard about God. Because so many introducing you to God and they give you a religion that is of works and doesn't even give you the assurance of heaven is mean-spirited. It's awful. That's the most horrible thing under heaven is religion. When I found the truth that I will never make it. That's the bad news, by the way. You'll never make it. Forget about it. You're not going to make it. One sin, one evil thought, it's over. Because heaven's a perfect place. God is perfectly holy. You cannot be in his presence with sin. Sin cannot reside in his presence. There's no hope. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is a free gift. The biblical word for this is redemption. It literally means to buy something back. Jesus bought you back with the life of his son. He loves you that much. You can reject it if you want, but that will cost you an eternity separated from God. Or you could humble yourself and accept it. And the moment you do, right now as I'm talking, right there in your seat, right listening online or watching, you could say, I believe it. God, I receive your son as my savior right now. As I'm talking up here, you say that to the Lord. He's listening. He's watching. He wants you. All of heaven is watching. The Bible says when one sinner turns to God for forgiveness... All of heaven begins to throw a massive party. So they must be partying all the time. 
Because there are people getting saved every day, all day long, all over the planet. That's what heaven... Some people think heaven's going to be born. What's heaven going to be like? I think they are just raising the roof. Is there a roof in heaven? I don't think there's a roof in heaven. They are celebrating 24-7 up there. God's love for us is so powerful. And here's... Here's what I love. It's not just about making it to heaven. I want to say this to you, to to believer and seeker alike. The power of Jesus' resurrection, breaking the power of death so that we could have our pathway straight to heaven. Some say, well, that's kind of exclusive that Jesus is the only way. He's the only sinless person that has ever lived. He is the only one to be proved to be the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. There are channels that buy the rights, cable networks that buy the rights to certain programming. You can't just cha- choose any channel and say, oh, I'll watch it on this channel. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is the only one who bought the rights for our entrance into heaven. It was with his own life, death, and resurrection. That's why he is the only way. But once you give your life to Christ, it's not just for an interest into heaven. It is so that his supernatural power can invade your daily life. You see, we all want power. I mean, I drank three cups of coffee this morning. How many of you drink like a pot of coffee before, you, before the day's done? Come on, be honest. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You're pure. But you're doing the rock star power drinks, right? Like my son Sam said, hey, somebody offered me a, like a triple power drink or whatever. Can I have that, Dad? No. That's the last thing. I've got five teenagers at home. I am not passing out power drinks. And, but we are. Well, it would be worse if they're like toddlers, right? Could you imagine? But we do. I do make coffee, a big pot, 14 cupper every day for my family. And sometimes I have to make a little extra. We love power, sleep meds, energy drinks. We love the power of wealth and what that brings us. You can buy elections with money, influence, position, possessions. We love power. But this life throws some trials our way that no power on earth can solve. And you know what I'm talking about. Broken marriages, broken bodies, broken hearts, broken finances, addictions, sorrows. But God's resurrection power is more powerful than any brokenness, any pain, any suffering, any trial you will ever experience on this planet. I had something, I had someone very, very, very dear to me commit suicide. When I heard the news, I was incapacitated. Have you ever had somebody very close to you die? Die in such a horrible way like that? It... We are not designed by God to experience death. We weren't designed to ultimately, we weren't designed to die. We were designed to live forever until the sin gene entered us through Adam and Eve. And then we've been decaying ever since. That's why the whole world is decaying. The law of entropy. We're just decaying. Our bodies decay. The earth is decaying ever since the fall. The Bible says the whole earth groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that God one day will fry the whole earth and all the heavens and redo it and make a new earth and a new heaven. Everything is decaying. And so when we experience death this side of heaven, 
it's so hard for us to grapple with because we weren't designed to be able to negotiate death. Thank God Jesus broke death back. Blew open that door for us. So when we, quote, die as believers, really, we're just going home. We don't go into a black hole of oblivion. You don't come back again as a cockroach or, a, or maybe a rabbit. No, the Bible says it's appointed for everyone to die once and then the judgment. And if you give your life to Christ, your judgment will not be a judgment for sin. That's been dealt with. Your judgment is called the reward ceremony, the award ceremony, the judgment seat of Christ. It's like an Olympian ceremony where you come and you stand before Christ, you and Jesus face to face. And he looks at what you did for his kingdom from the day he called you. Every dime you give, every prayer you pray, every act of kindness in his name, every person you share your faith with is being recorded and will be rewarded the day you go to heaven. That's why lazy Christians drive me crazy. I know you, you just don't understand. You don't get it. Some Christians think, oh, I gave my life to Christ. I have fire insurance. I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to live my life right now for myself. I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to can all I get. And I'm going to sit on the can. That's a, that's a travesty for you. The book of Revelations, Jesus talks about all the rewards he's going to give to those who serve him and overcome in this life. This sermon I'm preaching, I'm going to get rewarded for it. I don't know if it's going to be much of a reward based on whether it's good or not, but I know he's going to at least reward my attempt for his name's sake. Don't waste your life on yourself. Live for the other side, not this side. This side is temporary, folks like a vapor. I was so devastated in sorrow and grief. I literally, I was out to dinner with my family and I was just looking down at my plate. I couldn't eat. I couldn't talk. I couldn't communicate with anybody. Psychologists say, clinical psychologists say it takes about two years to process a death, a divorce, the loss of a loved one. They say make no major decisions in the first two years after you've broken up from a significant relationship or had lost. I'm sitting in the back seat of my mom's car and everybody's outside talking and I'm just in the back seat, literally incapacitated with grief. And the Lord spoke a scripture to me. Do not grieve. Today is holy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it was like this breath of life just went, went right into me and the grief just lifted and was gone. It was one of the most miraculous moments of my life other than my salvation. Delivered from grief with one word from God. We have so many testimonies in this church. Here's just a few. I want to read just a few testimonies of the power of Christ invading people's lives. These have just happened just recently in our church. This one's from Jessica. Hers is healing from anxiety. For as long as I can remember, I've had major anxiety, some days worse than others. It was just getting worse and worse. It was a good day if I only had two or three major attacks. If I slept five hours without waking up in a panic, I was happy. I don't know how to say how bad it really was, just that my anxiety was out of control. And I felt I would never get it under control. Last Sunday before church, I was talking to a woman, and I mentioned my anxiety getting worse, and now my son has realized when I'm having an attack. He helps me cope. How sweet, because he's only three. 
I sat down and listened to the service. At the end, the pastor said, there's someone suffering from anxiety attacks. My first thought was, he isn't talking about me. Just sit down and stay quiet. He's talking about someone with worse anxiety than you. So all I could do was hug my dad tight. That moment I felt okay and loved, but then I had this thought. A thought went through her mind. Let me love you like that. Let me hold you like that. I knew that was God, so I decided to go down front and get prayed for. When we were praying, I took this deep breath, and then I felt all this weight lifted off like a light, and I was light as a feather. I could breathe. After service, I got my child and went on with my day. I went on with my week. It's now Thursday, and I haven't had one anxiety attack, not one panic attack, nothing. I woke up with peace and slept peacefully. I had this urge to tell someone, so I told my dad. He was the one who said, I'm supposed to give God all the glory and to share this. But even now, to write this feels weird, kind of because I guess I'm still shocked that God loves me this much. Also, even sharing my personal testimony used to give me anxiety. I guess when you asked me to share, I was worried I would have an anxiety attack over something so small, and I just did not want it to come back. Well, no, nothing. It's my lunch break, and I'm still feeling peace. What a great testimony. Here's another one from Lisa. Go ahead. Give, give Jesus praise. Come on. Lisa says, this particular lady, this particular day was very special to me because it was when I received Jesus into my life. During the mass, Pastor John was talking about Jesus flowing through your body like a flowing river. And that's what I felt when I went down for prayer. We were praying for my cousin who was just diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer and my boyfriend who just found out he was in remission from stage 4 brain and lung cancer when all of a sudden I felt the sensation of Jesus' presence flowing through my body like the flowing of the river that Pastor John had talked about earlier. The feeling I felt afterward was amazing. I felt so much happiness, joy, and relief. I felt so connected to Jesus and to everyone around me. That's the sign. Since that day, My days feel so fulfilled. I know my life is so much more complete knowing that having Jesus in my life is helping me in everything I'm going through. I'm feeling so much happier and relieved. Now with my water baptism coming up, I'm so excited about the new beginning in my life. Now here's one more from Al. On Sunday morning, I was praying for someone else to be healed and suddenly my knees stopped hurting. They've hurt for years and I couldn't stand for long at all. I'm in my 70s, so I just figured, well, this is the way it is. I went back to my seat, and I went up the center aisle with no problem at all, exclamation point. I stopped and told someone else about it. I went to the back and told the head usher about it, and he asked if I'd help receiving the offering. I did the collection without my cane, exclamation point. I went outside and saw my pastor, handed him my cane, and said, do you know anybody who needs this? The next Sunday was Testimony Sunday, and I walked up the stairs on the stage, I, which I, caps, never could have done that before. Caps, praise God. Amen? Those are, just a, those are just a few small testimonies of the resurrection power of Jesus still invading people's lives today. This is what Ephesians 3.20 says. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. This is God's desire. This, this is the Lord's. This is the Father's heart. It's a parent's heart. 
But here's the thing. We can neglect and reject this power. It's amazing to me. It's just amazing to me the power God has given to us human beings. That He could put the plan of salvation, our salvation, in action 6,000 years ago. He could have His Son come to the earth, die for our sins, raise from the dead, release His resurrection power into the earth, and it could come right up to your life. Here in the gospel right now, it's come right up to your life right now today. Right now, it's right here. And you can say, no. And God won't force it on you. Or you could say, yes. And that power flows right into your soul instantaneously. And you will feel a supernatural peace you have never known before. Then you will know that the things I am saying and the things others have said to you are actually true. But we have this propensity to run away from authority, from God. Look at this precious verse in Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they ran away from me. <laughs> How many of you have ever had a two-year-old? Isn't it? Raise your hands. You've had a two-year-old. You know what those are like, right? They call them the terrible twos for a reason. When they're first born, they're just so, oh my gosh, man, right? And then when they take their first step, it's like, look, they walk, they walk, they walk. And they go, poof, they fall down. Then they get up, they walk. Oh my gosh, they walked all the way across the room today, honey. You missed it. You missed it. Oh, Johnny walked all the way across. Oh, Susie walked all the way across the room to me. And then they start running. Oh, isn't that cute? Then they figure out that they can run. And then you take them to the mall. Or in a parking lot. Or at church. And you say, Susie, come here. And then they look at you. And you see that look in their eye. The moment of decision. Do I stay or do I go? And what do they do? Inevitably, they turn around and they beeline it. They say, Susie, get back here. Susie, get back here. You see the parents running all over Toys R Us. Well, they're done now. Running all over the mall, chasing their children. I mean, I'm telling you, when you have these, as many children as we do and as young as they used to be, literally, you're, I mean, we would go out on a date and we'd leave our child with somebody. And literally, it would like halfway through the date, my, the knots in my stomach would start, the t- intensity of my stomach would start to relax like, because you're not looking around to see what's, you know, what they're knocking off the table and, and what they're throwing at the people behind you, the ketchup or something, or, or where'd they go. I mean, you're always looking around oh, because they had this propensity to run. We all had this on the inside of us. He says they sacrificed to the bales and they burned incense to the images. Look at this. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with the cords of human kindness and ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bend down to feed them. You know, I went to uh, this reenactment of Moses' tabernacle. That's here in RB. You may have gone. And the thing that really astounded me was this mock of the high priest. I don't know if you see the picture here. There's a mock of the high priest in the Old Testament. Where 
God told him how to dress. And God told him to put this breastplate on. On that breastplate are 12 stones, and on the stones are names. Every name is one of the names of Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. How precious is that? That God would write the name of his sons and daughters on his chest. That's a type of Christ, our high priest, who wears us on his heart. It captivates me. I mean, there's a scripture. Look at this scripture. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. One scripture says, I've carved your name in the palm of my hands. Now, I haven't gone that far. I mean, you go into my office, and whatever way you look, you're going to see pictures of my children. But I haven't come out, you know, with blood coming down my palm and say, honey, look, I carved my, our children's names in the palms of my hands. That's how much I love them. That'd be kind of weird, right? I like that phrase I saw on Facebook. I'm going to love you so much it's going to make you uncomfortable. That's the kind of love the Father has for us. Look at the second half of this scripture. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruins. The Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and torn down the walls. So they were vulnerable. Some of you, your lives have been destroyed. Your marriage has been destroyed. Your health has been destroyed. Relationships have been destroyed. Your spiritual life is desolate. has been robbed. You've been robbed by the enemy and you don't have a relationship with the Father. But just like Jerusalem was restored by the Father, so God is restoring lives. Anybody who comes to his son Jesus, immediately he begins to restore your life. Look at this amazing scripture in Philippians 1.6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And how does this work happen? Everything in the Old Testament, everything in Jewish history was just simply a foreshadow. They were images. They were pictures of the real thing. I went to this tabernacle, and as I was walking through it, and I don't mean to dishonor. I really don't. Moses' tabernacle, the reenactment of the tabernacle, people who love buildings and love temples. I don't mean to dishonor their sincerity. But what I do want to say is I was sitting in a discussion with a a rabbi, with a Mormon leader, with uh, an Islamic leader, a Catholic leader, and a universalist, he called himself a Christian leader, NRB at a panel discussion after we went through the temple Then there were 400 people sitting there listening to them talk about the importance of buildings, the importance of Moses' tabernacle, the importance of the Mormon tabernacle, the importance of the Jewish temples, the importance of Mecca. They all had 10 minutes to talk about the importance of the buildings and the places in their religion. Oh, man, honey, you would have been so proud of me because I did not do what I may have done 20 years ago in my youth. I just wanted to jump up and say, stop! It's all obsolete. It all points to Jesus. He now is the culmination of every sacrifice, 
every hymn, every building, every priestly robe, everything, everything tangible. It all pointed to him and he has already come. Cathedral of Notre Dame burnt, and it is sad, and I don't mean to be insensitive, but I want to say, when I heard the reporter say, and they've given a billion dollars to restore it, when the reporter said, we hope it can be rebuilt so their hope can be restored, I thought our hope is not in buildings. Everything on this earth is temporary. Except for one thing, your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is now our high priest. Look at this scripture. So all of you holy brothers and sisters who were called by God, think about Jesus. Not church buildings. Jesus, who was sent to us and is the high priest of our faith. The scripture says, because God's children are human beings... Made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. His brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. I want to say something to you. You don't need me to go to God. You don't need a priest to go to God. You don't need an imam to go to God. You don't need anything to go to God. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you boom, you have a direct connection to the Father through his son Jesus Christ. You do need to be part of a local body of believers. Jesus has said, do not forsake the summons of yourselves together. He has said, the arm cannot say to the leg, I don't need you. The eye to the nose, I don't need you. Jesus said very clearly that he's coming back for his church. Every one of us has been given, once you come to Christ, a part to play in the body of Christ. And when you disconnect yourself from the local church, you've just disconnected yourself from the body of Christ. You're worse for it, and the body of Christ is worse for it. Jesus never leads people away from his church. He comes back for his bride, and he's not coming back for a one-legged, one-eyed woman. You cannot disconnect from the body of Christ. You cannot support that biblically. You can't give me scripture on that. There's a reason why people disconnect from church. You had a bad experience or something happened, but you can't put God's name on it. Jesus is coming back for his army, for his family, for his bride. And you don't find disconnected armies. Well, the disconnected armies get demolished. Dysfunctional families are sick. Jesus is making his army and everybody counts. Jesus is healing his family and everybody counts. This is, not, this is a team sport. It is not a solo sport. It's not tennis. It's a team sport. So you do need the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You need the body of Christ to be a part of and to grow in and to contribute and do your part and to build up the body. But you do not need 
anyone to go straight to God except Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. Then he could offer sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. There's nothing that you will ever go through on this side of heaven that Jesus doesn't understand, doesn't feel, and can't help you with. But it's all temporary. I want to leave you with these last few scriptures. The Apostle Paul again says this. What I'm saying, my dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Even our bodies aren't going to make it to the other side. Like this one person, these two guys were standing by the side of the road of this little town, and there was the wealthiest man in the town died. And as his hearse was going down the street, and it went right by these two men, the one man said to the other, how much do you think he left? And the other man said, all of it. We don't get to take anything, including our bodies, which is really good news for most of us. (laughs) What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, everybody says amen. <laughs> then when, we, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Say it out loud with me. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Your destiny is to go from earth to heaven, but your assignment is to bring heaven to earth while you are a believer. I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You don't need church to be saved. But you do need Jesus. We believe with our hearts And so we are made right with God. And we declare with our mouths that we believe. And so we are saved. To the believer here today, I want to challenge you. Quit wasting your life. Don't be so consumed with this life. That then you die and you look up and there's Jesus. And you realize, after I got saved, I spent my whole life on me. And my four and no more. I was so consumed with my retirement and how I'm going to relax after I retire. I was so consumed with getting that right house, that right car. I was so consumed with getting the, 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 the right degrees or the accumulation, materialism, 
the accolades, and poof, it's all gone. And then there's the award ceremony for what you did for Jesus after he called you and forgave you of your sins. Live on purpose. Live with eternal purpose. Every relationship you have, every dollar you have, every breath you breathe, how can you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords until he calls you home? And then he puts that crown on your head and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Man, you rocked. And you say, no, you rock. He says, no, you rock. I'm, I'm saying, you rock. And then you walk arm in arm into heaven with the sun. You don't want to show up and Jesus says, really? You don't want that. And for those of you today who have never crossed the line, you've never come to Jesus. I'm telling you, if you would just crack the door of your heart this far, he'll slip right in. And he'll start proving himself to you from the inside out. That's what happened to me when I was 19 years old. I went down to church. And I heard a message like a message you heard today. I went down there three times. Just kind of a looky-loo. Hmm. I wonder. I didn't know why everybody was happy and not stoned. That confused me, really. I mean, everybody's happy, high-fiving, and nobody's drunk and nobody's stoned. And I couldn't put those two together. It confused me. But I went home and I knelt down by my bed when I was 19 years old and I said, Jesus, I really don't know if you're real or not. But if you're who those people down at that church say you are, I'm inviting you into my life. There's, the room didn't shake. There weren't any angelic visitations, no bright lights. But over the weeks and over the months, something was happening inside of me. The first thing that happened was the emptiness was gone. It was just gone. And I had a peace inside of me that I had never felt before. His name is the Prince of Peace. And then my desires began to change. And I didn't want to party anymore. I just didn't want to. I wanted to, I wanted to study the Bible. How weird is that? I just fell in love with the Word of God. I fell in love with Jesus. That was over 30-some years ago. The invitation is now yours today. What are you going to do with Jesus? He's right in front of your face right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart. You can feel it. That's the spirit. He's calling you this morning. Will you cross the line? Just let your pride go. Don't worry about you saying I don't believe in the past. Don't worry about, don't worry about all that. It won't matter when it's all said and done. When all this is over, what will matter is whether you're in heaven, whether you come home to the Father or not. And that can happen right now, will you close your eyes with me in this church today? You've heard the gospel today. You've heard the good news. And now the choice is yours. Only yours alone. Nobody can do this for you. This is between you and the Father and His Son. If you would crack the door of your heart this morning... And say, I want to I know if this is true. And I am willing to ask Jesus into my life this morning. 
Will you raise your hand right where you are? And say, I'm willing to pray that prayer. Ma'am, I see your hand. Those raising your hand, I want you to look at me as you raise your hand. Ma'am, I see your hand right here. Okay. Anybody else raise your hand and say, I am asking Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins today, and I'm asking him to be my Savior. I see your hand back here. I see both your hands back here with the flowered shirt and the gal sitting with him. Anybody else raise your hand this morning and say, I am crossing the line today. I see your hand right here. Anybody else? I'm crossing the line today and giving my life to Jesus. Anybody else? Raise your hand really high so I can see it because because the lights in here are dark and I'm getting old. I see your hand, ma'am. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? Raise your hand in here. Say, I am crossing the line and giving my life to Jesus today. And I see your hands back there. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Anybody else? Raise your hand really high so I can see it. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. I'm crossing the line. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to experience this peace, and I want to know that I'm right with God. Okay. Now, if you put your hands down. Now I want to talk, and I want to give an invitation to you who are believers. Today may have been an adjustment for you, a perception adjustment, a paradigm shift. You truly have been engrossed in this world. You've forgotten to live with the eternal perspective. He could be back today. Wouldn't that be awesome? And would you feel satisfied with the way you spent your time and resources for him? I'm going to give you a moment right now and just to pray this prayer. Would you pray this with me? This is for the believers. Dear Jesus, I've been caught up in this temporal life. You can just repeat this off your lips to Jesus. I'm more concerned about what people think about me than what you think about me. How foolish I've been. Lord, open my eyes. So that I can live with the eternal perspective. And help me live for you while I'm still on the earth like never before. Now, for those of you who raise your hand, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer right there in your seat. Just repeat this after me to God. Dear God, I believe your son Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I receive him now as my Savior. And I give my life to you from this day forward. Amen. Will everybody please stand? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front. And I don't want anybody to leave yet because we're about to celebrate with heaven. I'm going to ask as the prayer teams please come down front.